We have been talking about the jewels in the foundation uh, of the city. Twelve foundations, twelve jewels listed as they are. Verse 19, Revelation 21, the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, fifth sardonyx, sixth sardius, seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. Then he goes on to say the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each individual gate was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. Now, if you go back to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 28, you'll find a strikingly similar uh, reference. Uh, beginning, and this was about the, the forming or the developing of the breastplate of the high priest. It rested on fine linen, fine twined linen, double folded. Four square shall it be doubled. Is the span shall be the length thereof, and a span shall be the breadth thereof. So in this linen panel, you see the maintaining of uh, the geometric relevance of everything being equal, the length equal to the width. In the city, you see uh, the length equal to the width equal to the height. All these things mean something. It's more than symmetry and the fact that these things are symmetrical. The care with which the scriptures lay out these symbolic references is quite intentional. It's intentional from God. One thing leads to or points to another. These are the clues of interpretation. And it's really not like puzzles necessarily to be solved requiring human logic. Um, we see a principle in Scripture uh, of the laying down or the laying out of certain symbolic references, even Scripture references. So, for example, when God said in Deuteronomy, through Moses, Moses said, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up from among the brethren, like unto me, him shall you hear in all things whatsoever he shall command you. And it shall come to pass that the soul that does not listen to this prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Now, by itself, 
a forward-looking prophecy. Um, at that time, neither Moses nor his, nor his audience had any idea who that prophet would be. But in, uh, in the book of Acts, that in the early chapters of the book of Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 3, that very scripture is quoted. And the disciples were saying, and the case was being made, and the case was being made by Stephen that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was, in fact, this prophet like unto Moses, and how God attested and approved of him through many signs and wonders which he did in the midst of the people. Later on, in the same uh, early portion of the book of Acts, this expression would be found. Uh, the disciples would say, this, the phenomenon they were experiencing at the moment, this is that which was spoken by the prophets. And they would identify the present circumstance with what had been prophetically spoken. Of course, at the time of the speaking by the prophet, the prophet didn't understand what he was saying. Daniel did not understand what he was saying, and in fact asked the, in, in the latter part, 12th chapter of the book of Daniel, he, keep, he keeps asking questions like, what does this mean? Only to be told, it doesn't concern you. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, explaining the phenomenon in Acts chapter 2, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon that audience and the manifestation of cloven tongues like fire and how they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When they were challenged and considered to be drunken men, Peter said, no, we're not drunk as you would suppose, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, Joel had said, I will pour out my, God speaking, said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, young men see visions, your old men will dream dreams, and so on. So this phenomenon is common to scripture, that when the reference is first made, that is meant to be unpacked and unfolded at a later time, at the time when the first reference occurs, it is highly unlikely that even the persons involved and the circumstances that are implicated do not, do not give the meaning of the thing itself. It comes to be known when the latter end of the matter has been revealed. Now, the book of Revelation, of course, is the summary of all unfinished things, and more than a summary, it takes it then from the natural 
into the spiritual. So here we have this example in Exodus of the breastplate of the high priest being established by the word from God in the book of Exodus. God is telling them what to do and He says, first you have a double, you have fine twine linen, double folded and it rests upon, uh, it's part of the, uh, the garment of the high priest and the purpose of this double folded um, four square measured linen, um, fine twine linen cloth, ephod is it's called, is, to, is the place upon which the breastplate of the high priest is to rest. You shall, uh, then he tells them uh, to create um, a base of pure gold and you will set it, you will set that breastplate uh, with stones, even four rows of stones, he said. And then he goes on to talk about the first row shall be sardius, topaz, carbuncle, that's the first row second row, emerald, sapphire, diamond, uh, the third row, uh, agate, uh, ligature, agate and amethyst, fourth row, beryl, onyx and jasper. These should be enclosed in gold settings and the stones shall be with the names of the children of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet. Every one with his name uh, shall they be according to the twelve tribes. And you shall make it upon the breastplate chains at the ends of the uh, wreathed work of pure gold, and so on. So, <clears throat> In that's the first reference to 12, 12 uh, uh, precious stones laid out in rows of three for a total of 12. So you have four rows of three. When we come to the 12 foundations, which have the names of the 12 apostles, they are adorned with precious stones and so on. And the precious stones are, I believe, they are the exact same 12 stones that, I mean, they may have slightly different names, but as, I look, as I've looked up the Revelation reference and compared it to the Exodus reference, uh, the, the dictionaries seem to indicate that they're the same twelve stones. Fascinatingly, the original twelve stones in the breastplate of the high priest were inscribed with the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. These twelve stones 
are upon the twelve foundations with the names of the twelve apostles. Do you think God might intend for there to be an actual connection between the two in the fashion of this is that which was spoken? Well, of course, of course. This is the manner of the speakings of God. I am surprised, frankly, that the average churchgoer, who, the extent of whose knowledge is what they hear from the pulpit, for they rarely ever study the scriptures for themselves. And one of the reasons, not to excuse anyone, they've got jobs to go to. There's a reason God required certain people like in, in, among the twelve tribes of Israel, for example, the Levites were the recipients of the tithe and various forms of offerings, simply because God required them to devote their time and attention to the care of the spiritual care of, of Israel. The early twelve apostles showed the same pattern when they left off the daily administrations to attend to the Word of God and to prayer. We have a sort of egalitarian view, a democratic view of the order of God's government. We think that because every citizen has a right in most uh, democracies, every citizen has a right to vote and therefore control who their leaders are going to be. We have a kind of quasi-importation uh, of that notion as it regards the government of, of God. We have fundamentally different governments. When the people are the sovereign, versus when God is the sovereign. When the people are the sovereign, yes, they do get to say who their leaders are. When God is the sovereign, He gets to say who the leaders are. Here's, what, here's how Peter framed it um, when he was preaching on the day of Pentecost to a crowd of Jews assembled from every nation, uh, from 15 different nations. He said, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God by signs, wonders, and miracles which he did in the midst of you. And then he, he went on to lay out the proof that Jesus, in fact, was approved of God. I'm getting to something here, a key and critical understanding. The, when Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they had various answers. And then Peter spoke up and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say also unto you, So you've said to me, you are the Christ, so I am now saying back to you, because flesh and blood didn't reveal it to you, 
you have, you've been the chosen one to open the kingdom to both Jew and Gentile. Jesus recognized by that exchange that God had approved of Peter to be the first movement in the gospel being brought to both the Jews on the day of Pentecost and the Gentiles in Acts 10 uh, in the engagement with the house of Cornelius. So in the kingdom, people who have authority have to be approved by the sovereign because it's the sovereign's authority that they have. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Democracy is not the order of God's government because God's government is a kingdom. The importance of this is when people who are not acquainted with the scriptures speak about the scriptures and when they're not called to the things they're called to, their word is not on par with those who have been called, trained, proved and attested. And that's why we have such confusion when it comes to the book of Re- understanding the book of Revelation. People pretend they know when they in fact do not. But it, this won't do in the times we're in. It takes skillful helmsmen to navigate these times. And whoever chooses to be the captains of their own ships had better be familiar with the territory or with the, with the area in which they're called to navigate because these are treacherous times. Going back and using the same principle, why would there be a morphing, so to speak, or at least a a, a conflation of the twelve names of the twelve tribes of Israel as represented in these twelve stones and the twelve foundations, the names of which are the twelve apostles of the Lamb. This is strikingly simple. What God established when He established the twelve tribes of Israel was a type and shadow of the body of Christ. It was an early, rudimentary, rustic, first exposure to the principle of the body of Christ, to the reality, not just the principle, of the body of Christ. He would refine this process by the selection of the twelve apostles. They would have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to not only interpret the meaning of the law, which is one of the things they did routinely in the early church. 
They interpreted the meaning of the law and they would say, as I referenced earlier, this is that which was spoken. This is what God meant by this. Now Jesus himself did that when he commented on the commandments. He said, it was written, it has been said, thou shalt not commit adultery and so on, but I say unto you, well who is he to say to us? To reinterpret what had been said. Well he is the sent one, he is the Christ. And they would say, the Jews at his day said, well this man makes himself greater than our prophets, this man makes himself greater than Abraham. And for that reason they sought to to kill him because he was establishing a, a base of authority greater than their traditions and even the written scriptures to include the Ten Commandments. So if you do not understand the principle of this is that, then you will not see the connection between what is said previously, what is said subsequently, and how what is said subsequently is meant to interpret what had been said previously. So why does God go through such lengths to both identify Israel's twelve tribes with these precious stones laid on the breast of the high priest? What is that a type and shadow of? And again the key is there are twelve foundations represented by these same twelve stones, precious stones. And they represent the twelve foundations upon which the walls of the city, or the wall of the city in four sections rest. There are twelve gates with the names of the twelve tribes as well. And the answer is simple, to understand what God set forth in the twelve tribes, it must be interpreted by the work of the twelve apostles. So these stones then are indeed precious stones. The high priest on whose chest, so to speak, these twelve stones rest in the new and later interpretation of the same principle is not according to the high priest of the order of Levi, but the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus Christ, who carries us as it were on his heart. We remain, we the body of Christ, remain that which was precious to God and the type and shadow of it under the law was the breastplate of the high priest containing these twelve stones. 
The implication is God never forgot what was important to Him when He established creation. Why is it 12? Well, 12 is the number of government, but it's also the fullness of the intent of God to manifest Himself in 12 glorious displays in one body. 12 is that number that represents His government, the order of it, and so on. We had to learn from all of this that the Kingdom of God is not haphazardly arranged. Just like the 12 tribes of Israel constituting a nation settled in their own uh, domains was not haphazardly arranged. God doesn't have a, a, a people who are just a collection of folk from every tribe, tongue, language and nation. He has a people who are arranged accurately because each of these arrangements is representative of one of the splendors of God in the form of a precious stone. That's why, for example, you will find such references to a rainbow encircling the throne or God making a promise to receive a people out of every tribe, tongue, language and nation and in staying His hand from annihilation of all the people, the wickedness in the earth in the days of the flood, God stayed His hand and put His intentions under the promise of a rainbow. Now, of course, this symbol has been co-opted without meaning, but it doesn't mean that co-opting of anything divine for carnal and secular purposes confers that upon the carnal and secular purposes. The thing still remains and retains. It remains what it was in the beginning and it retains its original intent. See, evil has to have something to compare itself to and usually because evil is the tool of Satan for the entrapment and deceivement of human beings, it will seize upon some symbol of, that carries a divine purpose and divine intentionality. We ought not to be distressed by such things because that which it is not has no capacity to override, dominate and take over that which is authentic and genuine. So arranged properly behind 12 gates resting securely upon 12 foundations, a people who represent the great splendor of God are represented in twelve precious stones because in all of creation that is in fact what has been and remains important to God. A people drawn from every tribe, tongue, language and nation who carry individually 
and carry in their respective arrangements the many splendors of the living God. So they show up here now in this city, in this divine, pristine, glorious, rapturous arrangement. That's what I understand to be the twelve foundations adorned with all kinds of precious stones. It's the revealing fully of what God initiated when He established the high priest's vestments to include His breastplate with the twelve stones and how He interpreted what those twelve stones meant in the words of the apostles to indicate that God would draw a people from every tribe, tongue, language and nation <coughs> and form them and form them into a holy people. The last words, some of the last words of the last apostle, John, earlier on we encountered this in the book of Revelation when there was a great song, a new song in heaven celebrating the accomplishments of the Lord Jesus Christ to, with, particularity, with particular reference to the death of Jesus on the cross and His re- subsequent resurrection where He is the Lamb slain from the foundations of the world. The song is, Worthy are You, O Lord, to receive honor and glory and praise because you died and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe, tongue, language and nation and you formed them into a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Twelve stones, twelve foundations, twelve apostles of the Lamb, twelve gates, an arrangement of a holy people who are precious in the sight of the Lord. They are the fruit of all creation. They're what God hoped to reap when He sowed mankind into the created world. And here, here is the fruit of the labors of God. He rested on the seventh day because he was certain that all that he had initiated would come to this fruition. And here it is in the book of Revelation, the 21st chapter. I'll continue with you as we unpack the rest of chapter 21. I'm Sam Solon. I'll see you then.